Welcome to Plan for Divorce, your next chapter with host Brooke Benson. Over the next hour, you'll learn from experienced professionals the options you have to make smart decisions in your own divorce journey. Now, here is your host. Welcome. My name is Brooke Benson. Welcome to Plan for Divorce. I saw a wedding planning guide and realized people need the same kind of guide for getting unmarried. I do not advocate for divorce. In fact, I don't even get involved in relationship issues at all. If you decide to end a relationship or your partner does, I'm here to help with sensible, practical, and often low-cost ways to prepare for the split. Only when you know what you want can you work towards your own best outcomes. And there are many professionals with experience in this area. This show is dedicated to hearing from them, compiling some of their best information, and incorporating it into my workbook by the same name, now available for download at planfordivorce.org. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Today, we are very fortunate to hear from two women with lots of experience on the topic of divorce. Sherry Friedman is a sought-after divorce strategist and certified trauma-informed coach working with women across the United States and Canada. She has practiced as a family law attorney for many years. She is trained in mediation, collaborative process, and high-conflict co-parenting. She now practices exclusively as a coach. Please find her website at www.potomaccoaching.com. Sherry is a graduate of Tulane University and American University Washington College of Law. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brooke. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you here. And I think Um, I'd like to kind of take the approach that many of our listeners may not even be familiar with the concept of hiring a divorce coach and how you play a role in what often is, you know, the the lowest point truly in someone's life. Um, What would you, first of all, why don't you just tell us, why, why should someone hire a divorce coach? Well, there's many advantages to having a coach, especially one who is trauma-informed because divorce is a trauma um, and having a coach who is trauma-informed can be invaluable for so many people. Um, There's there's just so many reasons why a coach can help you through the process. And you're right. Most people don't know that a coach is part of the team. In fact, when I was practicing law, Um, coaching really wasn't a well-known thing. And so it was always a therapist, a financial advisor, and an attorney. But now that coaches are part of that team, because a coach can help you really figure out um, how to approach the business of divorce, as opposed to coming at it with your emotions, which divorce is heavily steeped in emotion as, as you know, and when you're making decisions from emotion and you're making decisions from fear, it usually ends in regret. Usually they are not smart decisions. Right. Well, and it is, it's such an emotional time. I, 
I have to imagine that most divorce coaches don't have your breadth of experience. Can you tell us a little bit more about your skills as an attorney and as a mediator? Sure. So as I said, I practiced family law for many, many years. So I bring that legal experience and wisdom to my coaching. I do not give legal advice, but there is an advantage to understanding how the legal process works. And many people think there's justice in the justice system. And I disagree with that, especially in divorce. I think there is no justice in the justice system. If you are thinking, I'm going to just take my case to court because the judge is going to believe my story and I'm going to be awarded everything I want, you usually end up being unhappy with the outcome and it creates a lot of conflict and a lot of tension that can be avoided. So one of the things that I help clients do is really understand the process, how it works, what the options are. Many people don't understand even how to get divorced. They think the only option is to go to court. And there's there are many other options, mediation, collaborative process, attorney-assisted negotiation, just the two of you sitting down if you're amicable enough and working out basic terms at you know the kitchen table as they as they call it a kitchen table agreement there's just many many options but when you don't you don't know what you don't know and so i help clients really understand what they don't know and then to where to go find the answers i always tell clients it's like having a baby unless you've actually been through a divorce nobody can really explain to you um, the process and, and how you feel along the way. And as you pointed out, the business of getting divorced. I mean, if you think of kind of the main stressors on us as human beings, you know, money, love, relationships, children, those are all factors in a divorce. And, and frankly, you know, the reason I started this show to be able to talk about what resources are available. Um, I'm very interested in what you said about the justice system. And I'd like for you to just speak briefly. My Something I say about mediation when I'm talking to my clients is it's really counterintuitive. I mean, the idea is you are going to agree, negotiate, and ultimately agree with the person you probably care for the very least at this moment in time. Why do you think that family courts and family lawyers are so mediation oriented? Like here in Texas, they tell us before you even think of trying to go to court, you've got to have at least tried to mediate a couple of times. Yeah. I, and I agree with that. I do think that mediation is a better approach if you if you can resolve it out of court. Because and the reason that in Texas, which is is um, they probably recommend that first is judges don't want to have to decide what happens to other people. They, they really don't like having to do that. It's a heavy burden for someone who doesn't know the people in front of them, really. All they know is what is painted in their, on, on, as I say, like you paint a canvas with your words when you're testifying in court. And so depending on how many days your trial may be, a judge has a very small snippet of what your whole life is looks like. And you then put it in their hands to make decisions, like you said, about where your kids are going to live, how often you get to see them, how your finances are going to be distributed, all the things. And so it's really important if you can 
regulate your nervous system, which is one of the things that I teach my clients how to do, really understand what you want and what you need, two very different things, so that when you go into a negotiation and you are triggered by your soon-to-be ex, because most likely you're not getting along, which is why you're there, you can regulate your nervous system in the moment, be able to take some breaths and really focus on what do I want? What do I need? And is what they're proposing falling within that, those parameters? There's a lot more that goes into it, but that, that is a really key piece because if you can walk away, maybe not happy, but satisfied or content with your agreement, you've won. No one wins when you go to court. Well, no one gets everything they want in a mediation either. This whole thing is really a lesson in compromise, don't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. But when you are able to really understand, when you're looking at it at a win-lose, which many people do, they go into it thinking, I'm either going to win or I'm going to lose. No one wins. But if you can go into it really understanding what is most important to me and what things can I let go you're much better off because yes, it is a compromise, but that's life. Life is not fair. Life is never fair. Life is not fair. And actually something you said is the exact reason that I wrote my workbook is that you've got to decide what are the key issues for you? You know, What is the hill you're willing to die on? What is the most important or maybe the few most important? And then what are you willing to give up? And I believe that you're correct in saying that, you know, no one gets everything and you've got to kind of prioritize and, and decide what you want. Same thing you said, though, um, regulating your nervous system. So to me, that sounds like something I would expect a therapist to say. And you are a divorce coach. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between those two roles? Sure. And I would like to say that that I do have a special certification. So I am trauma-informed and I am a certified mind magic practitioner. And so within that certification, I have the practices and techniques to be able to teach my clients how to regulate their nervous system, how to feel their feelings, um, belief work, visualization, meditations, a lot of things that not every divorce coach has. So in addition to you ask like sort of what sets me apart, in addition to my knowledge as an attorney a mediator and a collaborative divorce professional, I also have this other certification that kind of melds the two together, which I believe is the missing piece, being able to regulate your nervous system and feel your feelings. We don't bypass them. That's, I don't do that with clients. It's not this positive toxic bypass. We feel our feelings. So in answer to your question about the difference between therapy and coaching, they are similar they are, they are also different. I am not a mental health practitioner. I don't, while I am trauma informed, I don't treat trauma. Mm -hmm. So almost all of my clients also have a therapist. And sometimes when working with me, we uncover some things that they will then go back to their therapist with and deal with that with their therapist. But my client and I continue to work on the moving forward, moving through the divorce process, moving beyond the divorce, working with that, their now co-parent because roles shift. And so, like you said, you know, how do I negotiate with somebody who I can't stand? Well, how do you co-parent with someone you can't stand? 
and really like learning how to do that. And that that's the focus that I bring them on. So we look backwards so we can move forward. And sometimes when you look backwards, they uncover some things that then need to be addressed with the therapist. So I would say that with therapy, it's more um, unpacking and really delving into. And if there is depression, anxiety, any mental health disorders, anything like that, I, as a coach, am not qualified to um, diagnose or treat. And I'm very clear about that with my clients. How do your clients typically find you? So referrals, I get referred to by a lot of therapists, actually, because there are a lot of therapists who don't understand the divorce process. They might have clients who are going through divorce, but they're not trained in divorce. And they certainly don't have the background that I have on the legal side. Um, So therapists, attorneys, there are many attorneys who will refer to me because when your client is regulated, they're emotionally, and when they have someone to ask practical and important questions, but not legal questions, it saves them their retainer. Because when you're going to your attorney for every single thing, or, oh my God, can you believe he did that? Or she did that? Or can all the things they're billing you every minute. And then you get your bill and you're like, I've spent my whole retainer and nothing's even been filed yet. I'm so glad you brought that up because I talk to clients, my lending, you know, I'm a divorce lending specialist and I talk to my lending clients all the time about the different parts of a divorce. And, you know, they'll say, well, let me talk to my lawyer about that. And absolutely. I mean, the lawyer in, in at least the way I work, the, the family lawyer is usually the best driver. You know, they're the ones kind of charting the course and navigating the legal system. But we also generally talk about finances because I'm on the lending side of it. Sometimes we talk about co-parenting and I've had clients come back to me and say, you know, my lawyer didn't give me great advice on this particular topic. So as a result of hearing that kind of feedback, I have sort of reorganized the way I think about the parts of a divorce process. Would you agree that you let the lawyer handle the legal and you find other people to help with some of the other issues? Absolutely. I mean, in an ideal, if you're building your dream team, absolutely. You would have your lawyer because that's what they're best at. They're best at understanding the law, negotiating, um, all the things that are related to getting you the legal divorce, perhaps going with you to mediation if you choose to do attorney-assisted mediation. One thing that you said that I find interesting, you said that the attorney's kind of driving the bus. And I would like your listeners to really think about that a little bit differently. They are driving the bus. They need to be driving the bus. This is their life. And so when you turn it over to your attorney and say, I'm just going to let my attorney handle it, you're turning over all your power. You're giving up all your autonomy. And it's really important for you to understand that. And so that, again, is one of the things that I do with clients is I teach them how to take radical personal responsibility for their choices because everything is a choice. Well, and that's, that is such a good point. And the way you said it is absolutely correct. I think I'm sort of stuck in two different mindsets. You know, I have clients who say, well, I'm getting a divorce and I've hired a lawyer. And then I have other types of clients who are just maybe getting started and they call me to talk about the value of the house and, you know, can I afford to keep it? So I think in those two different camps, you have the 
I hired a lawyer and I'm going to move on down the road versus I am maybe going to put a team together. I don't think, and I, I may be wrong, but I don't think most people really give a lot of thought to, should I actually have a team of people, someone, you know, in addition to my attorney, what, what are some other things that you think are misconceptions or myths about how the best way to go about getting divorced might be? Well, there's a couple of things. So thank you for asking me that because one of the big things that comes up a lot in, with people that I talk to is they think, well, it sounds great, Sherry. It would be great to be able to hire you. Everything that you do sounds amazing, but I can't afford to hire a coach because I'm going to have to hire an attorney and attorneys are expensive. Divorce is expensive. What I would say and what I do say to to anyone who asks me that question is- Expensive, but it's worth it. it, well, Mm it. Well, how can you not afford to have a coach? Because if you just go into it without- really understanding because your attorney is going to tell you things and give you a lot of information. It's like a fire hose of information. And when your brain's on fire, right? When you're in that sympathetic nervous state, you're, you're, you've been in survival mode probably for a really long time because there's probably a lot that's led up to this decision, whether it was your decision or your spouse's decision to get the divorce. And you're hearing all this information, but you're not really processing it, but you're too afraid to go back and ask the attorney to repeat it because it's going to cost you another couple hundred dollars right? You ha- when you have a coach who can really help you figure out, okay, this is what the attorney said. This is, these are what my options are, or did I hear it correctly? Maybe you didn't hear that correctly, or maybe I'm thinking about something else. So one of the other things that I, that I do, because I am trained as a mediator and practice law is I help clients kind of brainstorm out of the box solutions without giving them legal advice, just, Hey, let's look at this from a different perspective. Let's step back a little bit. What other options might there be? And then take that to your attorney and explore, is that possible? Because every state is different and the laws are different in every state and every every divorce is different. So even if you've already been divorced, because oftentimes if you don't do the inner work and you don't heal, you'll enter into another relationship and end up with your second, third, fourth divorce. Just because you've gone through one doesn't mean you understand the process because every single one is very specific to what's going on, the dynamic of the people that are in, in that marriage right. and the children that are in that are part of that, that relationship. Um, and so that's also why going back to one of your beginning questions, why judges don't really want to get involved is because they don't know how to deal with the emotions and the different personalities of all the people. And when you really boil it down, divorce is the dissolution of a marriage contract rooted in contract law, right? There are no emotions in contracts, generally speaking, but there's so much emotion in divorce. Right. Well, that's, that's the reason for this show. You know, I, I told you, I saw a wedding planning magazine and I thought, wow, look at all those details. Look at everything people find to, I mean, my kids use the word obsess over, but it, it, it works here. You know, what am I going to wear? What is he going to wear? What are they going to throw at us when we leave the church or the synagogue? I mean, all of these details, but then when things get tough, there's not any sort of framework or guidelines. I mean, you and I know 
really there are, but they're not readily available. And it's kind of bad manners to talk about it because you don't ever want to feel like you're suggesting to someone, hey, this sounds really difficult. You know, why don't you just break up? I mean, that's, I don't think most people feel good about advocating for a breakup or a divorce. So it really becomes that, you know, the person in those shoes at that moment, should I really try harder to work on this? Should it, you know, is it time to throw in the towel? And that's why someone like me who has no therapy training, I mean, I don't want to get involved in relationship issues, but I very strongly agree that there should be a checklist or a framework or, you know, some point of departure for when a breakup is inevitable. And and that's the reason for the show and, you know, for my workbook. So uh, I agree with what you're saying. I still think that at least talking to people in my very unscientific studies, I, I just think that people are not aware of the concept or maybe not willing to figure out how do I find all of these people and how do I plug them in along yeah. the way. Do you do you have sort of an affinity for collaborative divorce? It seems like your role in that case is a little better defined. So I actually um, can't be a divorce coach in the collaborative space because, um, it, at least in Maryland, um, because I am not a mental health practitioner. Okay. So when I was trained as a collaborative professional, I was trained as an attorney. Right. Um, really for my own information, I went through it when I already was practicing as a coach, I became trained as a collaborative divorce professional so that I could help my clients understand the process better. Everything the divorce coach does in the collaborative process is what I do with clients outside of that process and okay. so much more. Um, collaborative process, it's an option. It's not always the best option. It can get very expensive. Right. Less expensive usually than litigation. Um, so it really, it, that's why it's really important to really understand what's at play and, ha and how all the pieces fit together. And also one of the things that you said about the, should I stay or should I go? Um, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of people who are suffering because they are in that indecision. Maybe they're just, they're unhappy. Um, there's nothing really that they can point to. There's no, there's no infidelity. There's no abuse going on. There, there's just this unhappiness. They're, they're living more like roommates than romantic partners. And there's this, well, it might be worse on the other side. Like there's this fear of like, do I go, do I leave my marriage? Do I break up the family because I'm unhappy? And is that fair? And all of that drama and belief and um, disempowering thoughts and that is something also that I work on a lot with clients. And I, I too am not an advocate of divorce. If I can help someone figure out how to be happy and they choose to stay, yay them. And I, and I help them and give them the practices and the tools so that they can, knowing that they can't change their partner, right. they can only change themselves. And that working on themselves and being able to do that work, sometimes they are, they do decide to stay or they look and see, this is what divorce is and I'm not willing to do that. And so what can I do now to make sure that I'm happy inside of this marriage? Because divorce doesn't solve your unhappiness problem. No, 
And sometimes I think it can exacerbate it because then all of a sudden you feel kind of isolated if you, especially if you and your spouse ran around as part of a group of people, I think sometimes if you're unhappy and you get divorced, sometimes it even makes it worse. It, it, it can, if you, if you allow it to right. again, right. If you, if you have the practices and the, the tools and the, the mindset work to be able to understand what other people think of me is not of my business and to really, and to do, that's why I do a lot of visualization with clients to really figure out who do you want to be as you're moving through the process and who do you want to be at the other side? How do you want to show up for yourself? How do you want to show up for your kids? How do you want to show up in your career or your business and really focusing on that? How do you want to feel every day and, and helping them to be able to do that? It, it's so that you can thrive and it is possible to thrive during and after. You don't have to suffer. No, absolutely. I agree. So do you have you ever had a situation where you worked with the couple together or do you always have a single person? I mean, I don't mean single as in unmarried, but a sole individual. Mm -hmm. So I personally don't coach couples. For me, and the way that I've been trained, I feel that it, it leans too much for me into either mediation or couples counseling, which I'm not trained in doing. So if, if someone does come to me and wants to work with their spouse, I will refer them to a couples counselor. I am happy to work with the individual. And if their partner wants to also get a coach, I think that's the, that's the best of both worlds where each party has their own coach and maybe they're also working with a marriage counselor together. That would be beautiful. Right. Yeah. I mean, it sounds great. I'm sure there are a lot of people who immediately think, you know, there's no way I could afford that. But as you point out, I mean, it's really, it truly is an investment in your future to uncover some of these issues and work on them. Absolutely. It's almost like, how can you not afford it, right? You spend all this money on a wedding, like you said, and then you don't want to spend any money to really set yourself up for the most beautiful life that you can have. And it's a trickle down, the reason that I'm so passionate about the work I do is because the, the practices that I teach my clients, they then in turn teach their children. Right. So they help their children regulate their nervous systems, feel their emotions because the kids are going back and forth and they're feeling their what they need to feel and they're able to release it in a healthy way because they're seeing one of their parents do it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Have you read that book? Um, Oprah wrote it with a therapist called What Happened to You? I have not. Uh, something you said just now that I think it's kind of the trickle down that the book focuses on childhood trauma specifically and how the things that happen when you're very young kind of form your belief systems and, and shape your experiences. And so this is almost, um, it's kind of the reverse of that book that if you can start to regulate yourself, learn healthy behaviors, tell yourself that you're in the position of power, it can flow the other direction. I mean, I believe it can. It would be interesting to get your commentary on that. Look it up, Oprah. And I can't remember who it's a, it's a someone with, I believe an MD and it's written as a conversation between the two of them. They do go into a lot of Oprah's childhood trauma, but he specifically works with kids and there's not a lot of content about divorce specifically, but, you know, as you pointed out, divorce is a trauma. And to say, I have experienced trauma as a result of that breakup is I think a very valid statement. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and part of what I teach in my framework does look at beliefs 
and how your beliefs are formed from when you're born or while you're in the womb all the way until about seven or eight years old, you're just this like video camera turned on 24 seven and just absorbing all this information and your beliefs are formed. So a lot of the work that I do is looking at what are those disempowering beliefs? What are those stories that you've been told or that you've, that you've created? What's the narrative? What's your biases that you're now bringing to this situation? And when you can step back and like, look at that and go, oh, wow, isn't that interesting? And take that moving forward. And sometimes, again, when you unpack that and you discover those disempowering beliefs, you might have to go speak with your therapist if you want to delve deeper and really like dig. You might uncover a repressed memory of trauma or something like that, that again, I don't treat trauma. So that is why it's important to have a therapist also working in conjunction with the work that I do. Um, But yes, the belief work and what is also fascinating is that you can rewire your brain and you there's you can um the neural pathways can be rewired and retrained to believe new beliefs you can teach yourself to believe new thoughts and there's some fascinating um videos and and um works out there that talk about that. Um, I don't know if you if you've seen them or are familiar there's one about Thomas Edison and how his mother um, it's, I can't go into it right now because we probably don't have time, but it's fascinating if, if, if any of your listeners want to look it up and how his mother really made him believe he was worthy and smart and it made him who he, who he became. And it could right. have gone the, the opposite direction if his mother had allowed his teachers to um, make him believe that he was not smart. Right. My son is 18. And um, just a couple of weeks ago, he went to visit some camp friends. You know, he knows the kids really well, but he doesn't really know any of their parents. And when he came home, he was absolutely horrified, really just kind of in shock about the way a dad was treating one of my son's female friends. And he said all the kids were kind of down, you know, jumping off the dock into the water. And this father and his daughter were up on a balcony. And my son said he was calling her names and yelling at her and telling her that she's, you know, stupid and makes terrible decisions and just everyone could hear it. And my son just kind of looked at me and he said, you know, I told one of my friends that, you know, my friend's parents, they don't talk to us like this. And it definitely, I think it was a real eye-opening moment for him. I had a similar, when you talk about your stories and the things that you kind of tell yourself and your ability to change that, I think for me, that occurred when I told Sam's story and my sister who grew up in my house, you know, just three years younger than I am, said, that's not what happened, and told a completely different version of the story. And I don't remember how old I was when that happened, but I think it sort of organically occurred to me, like, wait a minute, you know, first of all, that's my story. And second of all, that's how I remember it. And a little tiny kind of crack showed up to make me realize that maybe that's not exactly what happened. And maybe I am adding some of my interpretation to it. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, sibling relationships often pave the way for how you interact with other people in your life. And, you know, certainly that could apply to a spouse. Absolutely. And, and 
try, and that's why, and Una can probably speak to this um, more when, when you um, talk to her later, but trauma, when you, when you experience trauma, two people can experience the same event. The trauma is how you, you um, emotionally respond to that event. It's not the event itself. Right. So you and your sister could have, like you said, experienced the, the same event and she experienced it one way and felt one way about it. And it wasn't so impactful for her and you, it may have impacted you significantly. Right. So it's really that the trauma is the way that you emotionally experience that event. Right. Well, and Oprah in that book, because I'm not a huge Oprah follower, someone just suggested the book to me, I think in the context of the work that I'm doing right now, but that's, that's a point that she makes is trauma is sort of what happens when your body kind of doesn't have the resources to deal with something that has happened. And so that's, she's trying to change the vocabulary to this happened and here's how I felt about it versus mm-hmm. that story that, you know, can be kind of tangly and have long tentacles that reach out into other things. So to try to look at, and and they use examples like, you know, the, the mother was had a drug addiction or whatever and said so the chemicals in the baby's brain, that's just a fact, right? That the child was born addicted. The trauma comes from the inability to, process or clear it or whatever. So it's just, you know, these are important thoughts. And I think anytime someone is about to make a big life change, particularly a breakup, you know, personal relationship, these are things that you have a chance to really address. And sometimes I do believe for the first time, especially for people who got married young and just thought, you know, this is the way it's going to be and ultimately decided to either go in a different direction or, you know, met someone else that, that related to them in a totally different way. So I really appreciate your being here. I think it is fascinating that you had a long career as a family lawyer and then transitioned into this versus to me, it seems like it might go the other way where you work with people for so long that you finally decide, okay, well, I'm going to go get the legal education and kind of work on it from that angle. So I really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate the work that you are doing as well. The other one, other thing I did want to also mention really quickly is you had asked me like how, how people find me. Um, And so it is through referrals, attorneys, therapists, but also I am on Facebook. I do have a free Facebook group and I am on Instagram and LinkedIn. So social media, they can find me there as well. And my website. Great. What's the name of your Facebook group? It is, oh gosh, you're going to put me on the spot. (laughs) It's separation and divorce support, building a new normal. Okay. Separation and divorce support, building a new normal. Okay, so for anyone listening, that is Sherry Friedman, founder of Potomac Coaching. She is a divorce coach and formerly practicing family lawyer. Thank you so much, Sherry, for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you. So now we are very fortunate to have Una Metz returning from the show, returning to the show. And she is a therapist in private practice in Brookline or the Boston area, Brookline, Massachusetts. She wrote an article called, Why Don't We Talk, Really Talk About Divorce? And I believe it was written for a local publication in Boston. It was picked up by National Public Radio. That's kind of 
where I encountered her work for the first time. And since then, I've been avidly following her. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Brooke. It's great to be back. And you have, is it, do you have 13 divorce support groups? No, 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 no. Okay. But <laughs> Three. Oh, three. Okay. I have been running them for 13 years. Okay. That's that's where the 13 came from. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, (laughs) Right. I never know where these numbers jump into my head. Okay. So for someone who didn't catch the last time you were on the show, tell us a little bit about your background and how you kind of got to where you are. Great. Um, Well, I've been a therapist for the past 30 years, um, as you've said, in Boston, right outside of Boston. And about 13 years ago, I decided to start a divorce support group for women. And that group filled so quickly that I started another one and that group filled too. So that's when I had three groups and I've been running those same groups for the past 13 years. Um, And are you working exclusively with women? um, In the groups, I am women and non-binary folks. Yep. Okay. But in in your... All genders. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Good. Okay. So we just heard from a former family lawyer who is now a divorce coach, and she brought up some really wonderful points about regulating yourself. And it it reminded me of when you said that really the primary job when you're going through a divorce is to sleep and to eat. Can you elaborate on some of the self-regulating activities that you discuss in your support groups? Absolutely. Um, And I appreciate you bringing that up. And Ashari's uh, um, talk today was just so important, I think. Um, The things we talked about before were the importance of self-care. And one of the things I really help my clients with is understanding how important it is to do self-care during the divorce process. And what you were referring to is, you know, if if people can't do extensive self-care, let's talk about the basics. And the most the most important things are being able to eat some food every day and get a, a good night's sleep every night. And so really helping people to kind of get those basics before we then work on all the other pieces of self-care. You and Sherry are both highly educated experts in your field, Um, both of you working, you know, not for a charity, although I'm sure neither one of you are, you know, piloting yachts around the Mediterranean, although it would be nice, wouldn't it? But I definitely want to be mindful of the fact that we've got listeners from all different socioeconomic groups. So to sort of piggyback on some of the things that Sherry was talking about, can you talk a little bit about co-parenting and how you help people experiencing divorce really try to achieve their goals, but also really um, become the parent they aspire to be during this process? Sure. Um, I think the co-parenting piece in divorce is so important because the kids are going through the divorce too, right? So it's not just the parents that are going through the divorce, but it's the kids too. And so being able to help parents to figure out how to collaboratively parent with the other parent um, is a really crucial part of the work that I do. And Part of that work is helping them to figure out what it is that they want to have in their parenting plan, 
which does get is part of the legal process and does get filed. Now, you know, a lot of parents, parenting is hard work. So a lot of parents are kind of taking things day by day. And yeah, they might be thinking about the future in some ways, but it's rare when you have a three-year-old that you're going to be thinking about exactly what it is that your 16-year-old might want or need when they're 16. And so part of the work that I do is also helping them when they're crafting their parenting agreement to look ahead and think about what their child might need or their children might need over time. Talk a little bit more about a parenting plan. Um, And you said it actually gets filed. So like along with the actual dissolution of the marriage, what are the important parts of a parenting plan? Well, there's a number of important pieces to think about. And certainly the overarching thing that needs to be thought about is what are what's the best for the child? What's the best part of the well-being for the child? Like how can we support the children's well-being? But a parenting plan is going to have a lot of different things in it. Part of what it's going to have in it is a schedule, a custody schedule. Where does a child sleep every night? Right. And that's not just throughout, you know, this week or next week, but let's think about holidays. Where is the child going to be on holidays? Um, How do you kind of negotiate that? Um, So it sounds like if you have a parenting plan that maybe you don't have to kind of sit down and look at this every time Thanksgiving rolls around. Is that the idea to kind of get you in a regular pattern of behavior? It absolutely is. And I always say the best parenting plan is one that's really well thought out and that once you have it, you can go and put it in a drawer and you never have to look at it again, but it's there in case you need it because it is hard to do things like figuring out every single year, where does the child want to go for Thanksgiving or where do the parents want the child to go for Thanksgiving or um, for any other holidays or, oh, here comes this expense. We hadn't thought of when the child, we divorced when the child, children were three and five, we didn't think about, well, now they need braces, right? (laughs) So who's going to pay for the braces? Who's going to pay for, you know, the soccer camp? Who's going to pay for the tutoring, who's going to pay, you know, all of, so the expenses are also go into the parenting plan as well. So it's an extensive document that really helps people to kind of think through what some of these things are going to be to reduce conflict in an ongoing way. Cause we know that kids do not do well when parents are in conflict. Right. But we do also know, and I, I know this firsthand watching my kids, like they, their school, I mean, they're all out of high school now, but the school had adopted this block schedule and I couldn't keep track of it. You know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday was one schedule. Tuesday, Thursday was the opposing, you know, classes. And we're talking about in different buildings. And I very quickly lost track of how that was going. But we know that kids can adapt to two different schedules. So can you talk a little bit about some of the content you provide in your support groups when parents exchange children and when the patterns of of behavior, what am I looking for? The pattern, like the, if the schedule is different at moms and there are different expectations at moms. And then over here with dad, we do this and we do this. Can you talk a little bit about how to sort of um, grease the skids on that and how much it helps to have the two parents at least agreeing to certain parts of it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, it would be ideal if the parents had the same rules and the same values and so on and so forth. But keep in mind that these are parents who got divorced. So, you know, it's it's likely that the two parents are going to have different values, different rules in each home. And I try to reassure parents that kids can adapt to that. And if you just think about the fact that even if they're living in one home, you know, most kids go to school, right? Not all kids, but most kids go to school and there's a whole different set of rules at school. And the kids know when they walk into that school building that they are not to run in the halls or whatever, but they could run in the halls at home or, you know, so they know that there are two different sets of rules. And I think they adapt pretty quickly to two sets of rules um, in two different homes. So that's one thing is just trying to help people understand, do that education with my clients about that, that it's, it is going to be okay. Um, obviously, if there's not a big safety issue, you know, but the difference between a kid going to bed at eight on one house and 830 at the other house is not huge. You know, right. never having a bedtime at all. That's something you might want to address. <laughs> For your own sanity, I think yes, you would want yes, to address exactly. that. <laughs> exactly. um, can you tell us a little bit about the right of first refusal? What does that mean? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's um, that is a term that oftentimes comes up Um so say there are two parents and one, and there, there's a very clear custody schedule. So every Tuesday, parent A has the children that night. Now, if parent A has an important work event or something that they need to do on a Tuesday, the right of first refusal, which oftentimes people will put in their parenting plan, means that parent B is offered that time before a babysitter is called or another family member is called. So oftentimes people do want to put that into their um, agreement if they want the two parents to be the ones who are primarily taking care of the kids. Some people don't really care about that. And it's really an individual decision. Um, so it's not a necessary part of the parenting um, plan, but it is an option sometimes that people want to do. And it's usually best if the first right of refusal is for longer time periods. Like if parent A is running out to the grocery store, you know, for 20 minutes, obvious, and the kids are old enough to stay at home, obviously they're not going to call parent B to have the parent B have first right of refusal to take care of the kids. Right. But if it's for an extended, you know, period of time, sometimes people say if it's an overnight, for instance. Sure. Do your clients typically come to you when they're already through with divorce and they're trying to kind of get their feet under them? Or do you often start working with someone when they're really just embarking on the process? Well, Brooke, I will tell you, um, my belief is that there's really a legal arc of divorce and there's an emotional arc of divorce. And sometimes those two things line up really nicely and sometimes they don't. So I, a lot of my clients come to me in the beginning of the legal process, which is also the beginning or the middle of the emotional process. Um, and I work with them for as long as it's helpful for them, um, for the emotional piece of it. And sometimes, again, that lines up with the legal and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and then I do have sometimes clients who kind of buckle down and they get through the legal process, you know, getting all the tasks done. And then the legal part is done, but then the emotions hit. 
yes. you know, after the legal process is done and then they come to me or the other thing that happens sometimes is they get through the legal process and the co-parenting is so difficult and so kind of re-traumatizing every week that they come to me in that state as well. I think that's an important point. And, you know, Sherry was talking about how sometimes when she encounters a client, they've already been, I don't think this is the word she used, but they've already been sort of grieving the relationship or they've been really unhappy for a while. And and it's, you know, for, I think most of us, it's a very hard decision to, to break up a marriage or, or a partnership doesn't necessarily have to be a legal marriage. So when she said that, I started picturing, you know, how much work people do, whether they're either trying to find a way to be happy in the relationship or emotionally prepare, I guess, themselves or their spouse for this is not going to work. I mean, you know, we're going to have to make a big change. And so that's how I got to the thought process of, you know, do you often find that somebody is adamant that, you know, this has to be over, I can't take it anymore. Or like you said, maybe they've really kind of done the work and they understand the legal process and they're ready to roll. And then the co-parenting pops up. So it can be very difficult. And, and, you know, I had some old neighbors who they're still married. They're they're the first marriage for both of them, their children or their children together. And they were very upfront about saying, we have totally different parenting styles. I mean, they just could not agree on anything as parents. And I was living with my second husband who has his own children and I had my own children. And he and I really we actually were very similar in our approach to parenting. There were times where one of the kids, whether it was my child or his child would say something. And without even looking at him, I knew what he was thinking because I was having a similar reaction. So I think it's important to know that whether you have parenting conflicts between the two of you, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, if your children are your natural children, it doesn't mean that you're both going to sort of, flow harmoniously into your, your adult parenting self. Right. Absolutely. I mean, so many of the women that I see who are going through divorce have had a really long struggles about parenting um, with the person they're getting divorced from. You know, it's a very kids, kids are wonderful. You know, I, I love my kids. They're wonderful. And, you know, they create stress. They do. And then, and so it's not the children's fault that anybody gets divorced. It's more, how does that couple deal with stress? Right. Stress on the system. And if they can't deal well with stress, then things begin to break down more and more and more. Talk a little bit about expectations, because I think uh, I heard somebody say that, and he's a great dad and he has great kids. And he said, your kids will disappoint you like you never imagined. And I really took note of him saying that because I haven't seen his kids do anything I thought was super disappointing. But but we know that expectations, whether they're of your children or of your spouse, when they're not communicated and when they're not met, it's just sort of fertile ground for things falling apart. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Well, I'm going to take something you said and pivot a little bit, which is that one of the things I always tell my clients is if you, if your child tells you something about something that happened in the other home and you react and you're upset about that, it's really important to check it out with the other parent (laughs) before you go accusing them because, and this is about that expectation, you know, we may be primed to think, oh my God, that other parent, you know, they never do this. They always do this. You know, they're, they're, they're not doing the parenting right. And oftentimes when you check it out with the other parent, it turns out the story is not quite what your child is saying. (laughs) Well, it's like what we were just talking about at the first part of the hour, that something happens And, you know, your perception may be very different from someone else's perception. So I agree that should be rule number one to check it out with the other parent. And like Shari was saying, to take a moment and make sure that you're in a much more calm space before you make that phone call. Because if you make the phone call, like, I can't believe you did this. And, you know, that's a very, you're going to get a very different reaction and response than if you're able to calm down and say, hey, I just wanted to check this out with you, you know, because our child said X. So right. Response. So. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're running out of time and I hate to kind of start with a whole new topic, but. Uh, <laughs> I'll go fast. Back, okay. Well, just back to holidays. And I think this is more about expectations and also different family customs Um talk a little bit about when parents are from religious, different religious backgrounds. And, you know, it's maybe even a little awkward while they're still married, but then they split up and the children are going back and forth. Can you just throw out a couple of things that you've learned talking with your groups? Sure. Um, When I hear somebody say that they have different religious backgrounds, um, that's great, actually, in divorce a lot of times, as long as the as long as nobody's trying to force the kid not to have not to see both sides. But in terms of the holidays, that can be really nice, because I think one of the things that's really hard in a divorce is sharing holidays. And I see women who the first year is always the hardest in terms of sharing a holiday. But even if they're doing great, you know, years out, it's that's that can still be a, a bit of a pain point when they're sharing holidays. So if I hear, well, somebody's somebody celebrates Christmas and somebody celebrates Hanukkah, I'm like, oh, that's really good for your parenting plan. That's going to make things a lot easier. Yeah, that's true. I guess I didn't think about it that way. You're right, though. If there are different actual days that are celebrated, it would make it easier. That's right. That's yeah. Right. Thank you so much for returning to the show. It's great to hear from you always. Yeah, great to hear from you too. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Sure. So all of you listening today, don't forget you can download a divorce planning workbook from planfordivorce.org. Next week, we're going to have a very special and probably pretty emotional show. We have a representative from Soberlink. It's a handheld alcohol monitoring device. He's going to talk about how that works. And my second guest will be a family lawyer who is a recovering alcoholic. And I believe he's just celebrated 10 years of sobriety. He's going to tell his personal story. So look for them next week, two gentlemen with lots of great information. And until then, have a fantastic week. 
Thanks for tuning in to Plan for Divorce, Your Next Chapter with host Brooke Benson. We hope today's episode has given you a new perspective on divorce and food for thought as you make some important decisions. Until we talk again, hang in there. You are not alone.